this last uh, week, I've gone to school on uh, public waste and a sewer system. And uh, at my house, we have been abandoning a septic tank and tying in uh, to the city sewer. And it's kind of been this project that's been pieced together by some friends and, and some other people, and, and I really have learned a lot uh, about this process. And, and uh, the way that the process started out was a friend on a backhoe down at the street uncovering uh, the tap at the street uh, to the city sewer line, so we thought, and, and uh, I gave them bad information and, and told them that it was coming up on a 45, which meant that you could join anywhere you wanted to on, on that line, and, and uh, so they went to the other end of the house, 200 feet away, and so several friends and several days and m countless man hours, I mean, you could count it, but I, I don't have the energy to do it, and, and uh, we, we dug this trench eight, nine feet deep all the way 200 feet, all the way from my house to the road, uh, through my driveway two times, uh, through a bunch of trees and, and all kinds of uh, incredible journey, and several people's effort to lay 200 feet of pipe, glue it all together, the clean outs on it, and, and, and measuring it, trying to make sure the fall is right. And several other friends came to the rescue to, to shoot it with lasers and make sure that the fall is right. And the physics behind that is uh, really disgusting. And, and uh, because the thought process, if the fall is too good, then, then the, uh, I don't want to explain it to you, but, but, but the liquids will outrun everything else and, and uh, you'll have a real problem. And if the fall is not good enough, then obviously water doesn't run, you know, flat. And so the, the process, I mean, I really have, I feel educated uh, in, in this whole process in the world of plumbing. And uh, after multiple days, multiple, multiple, maybe even three days of digging uh, through my yard and laying all this pipe, multiple men involved in this process, uh, not to mention Charlie Manson and Son of Sam too, uh, were in the trench and, and, and helping us do this whole process. I mean, I've made friends across many spectrums uh, this week. And, and they, we got this whole thing tied together and get to the end and, and realize that the tap is not on a 45, that it is a horizontal, and we are two feet below it, which is a bad problem. Because my solution was, well, just elbow it up and go in, you know, two feet. But, but obviously that would not work uh, because you, you, you can't be below it and turn and go uphill. You, you, would, you would realize that problem uh, several days later and, and in the house. You, you would realize, and so it would have been a real big problem. And so uh, to the rescue comes dump trucks of screenings. We lift all the pipe, 200 feet of pipe, up out of a trench uh, using a rope in the back of Bob Keister's truck and, and, and shoveled screenings into under this pipe, got it at the right level. Another friend comes to the rescue with a laser and this thing that you said at multiple points and, and is telling us are we above or below. And, and I'm, I, I'm in the trench learning uh, this whole process for multiple days this week, and we got it tied in. Still have a huge mess uh, to clean up, but the city sewer is, is functioning. And, and here, here's the illustration in that, is that had we gone to the end and uncovered it all the way and realized this is point B and this is point A, we could have shot it and, and reached the point with exact precision. But we did not go to the end and say this is point B and this is where we need to go. In this series, we're calling Backward Parenting. All we're asking you to do is to zoom out and to say, this is the end. This is where I want my children to be. This is where I want my family to be. This is where I want my life to be. And as you zoom out and look at it, it becomes much more simple. 
and, and the process is a lot clearer because we run through this hurried pace of life that, that we're not sure where we're headed and which way is up, but, but if we zoom out for a moment, and which is what we're doing in this series, to say that's where we want to end up, it makes the steps a whole lot easier to say I'm at point A, here's point B, and here are the steps involved in getting to the process. So let's just recap where we've been the last couple of weeks. We said we're not going to give you a complicated 12-step program. We said that we're not going to provide the Ten Commandments uh, of child rearing, that we're just going to keep it simple. And so what I've done each week for the last two weeks is I've given you one word, one word a week, or or one character trait a a, a week that we want you, uh, that God wants you, that God's Word implores us to impress upon our children. And every every week I've given you one memory verse, uh, to help you do this, and we've been giving you one assignment a week to reinforce this principle in your life. And let me just say, this is all biblical, okay? The, the, I hope the process of memorizing Scripture is a discipline in your life. I hope that it is a spiritual habit in your home, that you are memorizing Scripture, you are learning Scripture, you're helping your children learn Scripture. It is God's design. It is God's plan for raising our children. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 6 where we kicked off this whole series a few weeks ago and let's look at that famous passage called the Shema. Shema means listen or hear, O O Israel. And that's the first word in it. It's famous to all Jewish people. The Shema is one of the most famous of all passages in in, in the Scripture. And in verse 7 of chapter 6 in Deuteronomy, here's what he says. Repeat these commandments again and again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. And so when you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, when you're driving in in the car on the way to school or gymnastics or basketball, when, when you're eating dinner, when you are playing with your kids, be repeating these things, be going over verses of Scripture, going over these words. In other words, what he's saying is don't let an opportunity with your children slip by where that you were unintentional, where you didn't know what the end was. Don't be ignorant of where you want your kids to end up and use every opportunity along the way to put into them something that will help them to know God and something that will help them to love God. And the first word we looked at was honor. Say honor. We said honor was giving value to something. It was giving worth to something. And we talked about how we honor God first. And when we honor God first, then we honor our father and our mother. The second word we talked about last week is blessing. Blessing all kinds of good stuff, great stuff came out with that uh, word last week as we talked about it. We said blessing is adding value to someone. It's adding value to something. And we gave you the steps to bless your children. I hope you've walked through uh, the assignments the last two weeks. This week's word is forgiveness. Forgiveness may be the most important word we talk about in this series. We could talk about forgiveness. We could preach on this subject. We could study scriptures about forgiveness for years and years and years and never scratch the surface of what God has to say and what God has done when it comes to forgiveness. So let's start by looking at the memory verse for this week. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 says, Make allowance for each other's faults. The, the Greek word there is forbearance. Make forbearance, have forbearance. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Now, I, I just want to confess to you 
the last three weeks, including today. My time in my study on Sunday morning, both at the house and here at, at the church, has not been reviewing manuscripts like I normally do. It's not been memorizing phrases. It's not been uh, rereading scripture passages the last three weeks. My time in my study the last three weeks has been a wrestling match with God because I want to preach with authenticity and I want to have dealt with the matters that I'm communicating to you. And it is tough stuff. I don't know if you're feeling it like I'm feeling it, but I am feeling a wrestling match happening. And as we talk about honoring people and authorities in our lives, and, and we talk about blessing our kids, and, and today forgiveness, this morning, 3.30 in the morning, I'm in my study at home and pulled out a piece of paper and wrote seven names, all men, that I might need to forgive. And it has been a wrestling match with the Lord over the last several hours of my life. That verse that we just looked at is a powerful verse. And there is a lot to it. And let's just unpack it for just a minute. We're told to forgive anyone who offends us. That is tough, isn't it? Anyone who offends us, forgive them. Why is that so tough? I'm going to tell you why it's so tough. It's because I don't like to do it. And you don't like to do it. And, and forgiveness is unnatural. When someone hurts me, when someone damages me, when someone says something about me, when someone attacks me, I like to hold a grudge. That's the truth. I do. And I want to get them back. And, and when someone tells me that I should forgive them and that I should release them, that flies against every instinct I have. Right? And it does for you as well. It, it, it just runs in the face of the way that we, we really want to live and the way we really want to think. But beyond that, this scripture says we're to make allowance for each other's faults. That, in the Greek, is in the present tense, which means it's unceasing allowance, that we are to continually, continually, continually make allowance for uh, one another's faults. And as we talk about forgiveness, listen, if this is something that has to play out in relationships outside the home with people you see a fraction uh, of your life, if this happens with people that, you know, you see only on holidays and you need to practice, then it certainly happens with those you live with, that you are going to uh, create a grievance with somebody you live with, with family members that you uh, share a home with on a regular basis. And this needs to be an unceasing thing that, that happens. We're to make allowance for each other's faults. What, what does that mean? That means we are to anticipate being hurt by people. In other words, it's almost a given that this is going to happen, and, and he's giving us a, a warning. And before it ever happens, as believers obedient to this verse, what, what Paul is encouraging us to do is that we have already prepared for them a special grace because we know it's coming, and we know it's going to happen. Why should we forgive anyone and everyone who offends us? He answers it there, and the answer he gives is because Jesus forgave us right? Which is the trump of all trumps. I don't know if you play cards where there's a trump card. I mean, that is the trump card of all trump cards, right? I mean, end of discussion. Because our nature, yours and mine, is to say, forgive anyone and everyone who's hurt me. Yes, I will accept. Boom. What they did was awful. Unforgiveness. You know, I, yes, I will forgive anyone and everyone except my mom, except my dad, except my ex, except the one who abused me, except the one, except, and all of the, and, and our nature is we want to, you know, we get a pass on that, and that we're going to, you know, 
on this particular person, God, you know, he understands. He wasn't talking about him. And you would think that, and, and we may would even encourage one another in that way. Oh, yeah, you're right. You cannot forgive that. Until he says, because Jesus forgave you and forgave all of us all of our sin, right? I mean, and so all of a sudden, all exemptions don't exist. And we're going to see why. And in fact, what I want to do is I want to turn to a passage in Matthew, in, in chapter 18, where Jesus is dealing with this subject, okay? And, and, and I just kind of want to just show you the way I think through Scripture and think through the New Testament and prioritize Scripture in my life. I always go to the words of Jesus because we let... Uh, Paul uh, be interpreted by the words of Jesus. We don't let the words of Jesus be interpreted by Paul or other New Testament writers, right? We start with the Gospels, and as we come out of the Gospels, then we understand all of the letters. Why? Because it's all about Jesus. Why you start there? He's the Son of God, right? I mean, he's the one that died for my sin, and he's the one that bought me. So let's go to a passage in Matthew 18 where Jesus is dealing with this subject and see what Jesus had to say about it. Look at verse 21. And, 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 and in this passage of scripture, Simon Peter is obviously dealing with the subject of forgiveness. Obviously someone has messed him around and he's thinking about this stuff. And so Jesus is talking about it and Simon's all ears, right? Because he's in the middle of a situation where he needs to forgive somebody and he starts talking to Jesus about forgiveness. But Simon Peter made some serious assumptions about forgiveness. Some of them are wrong. And some of them we've all made. So check out the question that he has for Jesus in, in verse 21. Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And see, if you don't know the background and the context and where Peter asked that question, then, then you won't understand what Jesus is saying. But what, what, I mean, what Peter is saying, the tenor of the question, because the tenor of the question is affected by the context of the day. And the context of the day was the rabbis and the religious teachers of the day, they taught that if you forgave the same person three times, that was monster forgiveness monster. I mean, you're part of the Trinity if you forgave the same person three times. And that was the context in the day. And so in that context, Simon Peter says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, he's showing off is what he's doing. And, and, and he's, he's playing this thing out and basically saying, hey, I, I, I know I'm a disciple, Jesus. And I'm one of your closest, you know, and I, I'm a spiritual stud. Uh, how many times should I forgive someone if, if, that hurts me? Seven times? You see, not three, but I, I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm godly. How about seven times? Like Jesus, is that not incredible? I, I am the man. I, that is just phenomenal. But Simon didn't get it. Jesus knows that he didn't get it. And so he answers his question. And the way he answers his question is Jesus launches into one of his classic stories. He always, Jesus was the master storyteller. And, and, and so to take the Word of God and teach it in a way that, that does not involve story, to take the Word of God and teach it in a way that bores people is not Christ-like because that's not what Jesus did. He didn't just recite the law over and over again. He told stories, and, and, and rarely do you read uh, Bible uh, people uh, saying anything without giving a visual. And check out the visual that Jesus gives here. He says, all right, Simon, there's this man, this wealthy man. He's not just a man. He's a king, this very wealthy king. He's rolling in the cash. I mean, he is loaded. 
And this wealthy, wealthy man is going through his accounting, and he's going through tax season, and he's going through all of his stuff, and he calls in all of his accounts. And as he's looking at his accounts, he realizes there's this one servant that owes him a lot of money, $10 million in today's equivalent is what Jesus said. There's a servant that owes the king $10 million. And today is payday, and he calls the people in that owe him money, and he says, folks, today is payday. I need the money. I need you to pay me all of it. Show me the money. But the servant couldn't pay. So what do you do in that day? There's no chapter 11 in that day, all right? There's no chapter nothing in that day. You were required at any moment when you owed a debt that they could call you on that debt at any moment. So you had to be able to get your hands on it quickly, which is a great lesson for the United States of America. And a great lesson for the government uh, today. And so he, he says, I, I need the money. He can't pay. What does the man do? Look at verse 26. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me. I promise you I am good for it. I know I owe you $10 million, but just please, please, please be patient. And, and that day, that king could take this guy and throw him to the torturers if he couldn't pay. That was perfectly acceptable in that day. He could have taken him and his entire family and put them on the auction block and taken for himself whatever he could get from, from, from the sale of his family. He could have done all those things. But this wealthy guy does something else in that moment. Look at verse 27. The master, this is the rich king, was filled with pity for him and he released him. Circle the word release. He released him and he, say it, forgave his debt. Now draw a line between released and forgave. There is a principle here and there is a picture here that Jesus is trying to show us. Now can you imagine that? That you owe somebody $10 million and when it's time to pay it, they say, forget about it. Can you go there for a moment? I mean, the, 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 just to think through that, I owe somebody $10 million and he says, don't worry about it. Now, people have done great, kind things for me in, in my life, but nobody's ever forgiven me of $10 million, right? I mean, I, I mean, great things have happened. I mean, I can give you all kinds of illustrations of people being kind to me and being generous and, and, and helping me in one way or another and, and, and you know, and, and, and buying me an ice cream. I mean, well, I mean, all kinds of things, right? But $10 million. And, and when we get grace, right, we usually give grace. That's just kind of who we are. I mean, we just, you know, I mean, we, we want to just pass it on and pay it forward, right? I mean, a few weeks ago, I was in Dallas for a meeting and with some pastors, and I wasn't to fly home until 10 o'clock that night, and my meeting ended early, and, and, or it was getting boring, and, 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 and so I, I ended early, and, and I, I uh, went to eat with some buddies and, and was done. Five o'clock, I'm done. And so I'm on the phone and with American and, with, and trying to figure it out. I go to the airport. Lo and behold, I get on a flight. I'm back in Tulsa four hours before I'm supposed to be back in Tulsa, which is unheard of in my life, right? To be given four hours back 
as a gift. And, and so, you know, as I turn to get on, uh, you know, uh, 412 or 44 out there, you know, I'm letting people go ahead, you know, after you. And people are walking across. Why? I've got four hours. I didn't know I had, right? And, and, and um, you know, which is uncharacteristic for me. I'm driving down the road and letting people go in front of me and passing and listening, singing to the race. But I got four out. Why? I was given grace, and so I'm going to give grace, right? But this guy, you would think that's what would be playing on with him. I mean, this, this spirit of forgiveness would be just a shroud around him. He'd been forgiven $10 million. Wow. I mean, like, like my new daughter says regularly, her favorite word is, yay, yay. I've been, I've been forgiven. And you know how you would respond. You know how I would respond. But Jesus turns the story a different way. And, and, and look what happens as this plays out. He walks out of there and he finds a guy who owes him $11. Eleven. He's just been forgiven ten million, and this guy owes him eleven, and he can't pay him, so he starts choking him. And has this man who owes him eleven dollars thrown into prison? And in Jesus, as he tells the story, he says, and the rich king hears about it, and he's not happy about it, and he goes off tilt about it, and he's like, what is up with this guy? Look at verse 32. The king, the wealthy one, called the man that he had forgiven back in, and he said, you evil servant, I forgave you a tremendous debt because you pleaded me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. Now, here's the spiritual principle I want you to see. It's incredibly ironic. The king delivered the servant from prison, and now the servant has put himself back in prison. Is the same not true in our lives? That we've been delivered as Christ's followers. We have been forgiven. We have been set free by Jesus. The debt has been taken care of. But when we harbor unforgiveness, we back ourselves back into a prison. We back right back into the prison and shut the door on ourselves and throw the key out the door to somebody else. But back in the condition we used to be in before we understood forgiveness. Back in the position that we used to be in before we understood and received the forgiveness and the debt-canceling power of Jesus. That's why the word uttered out of the mouth of Jesus that we talked about on Easter Sunday, tetelestai, does not mean it is finished. That word means Debt is paid in full. It is an accounting term going all the way back to this thread that runs through the stories of Jesus as it relates to forgiveness. It has been paid in full. True forgiveness, when we experience it, does something to us. It transforms us. It makes us new. It makes us different. It makes us well. And if forgiving feels unnatural, as I said a moment ago, forgiveness makes us natural again. So what does it do for us? Quickly, I want to give you three things that forgiveness does in, in, in the life of a believer. Number one, when I forgive, I release that person from guilt. Remember we said when someone harms you and someone trashes you, it, it's as if a debt has been created. That's the picture Jesus is painting here. A debt has been created. They owe you. And, and, and worse than that, there's a penalty Needed. And there's a judgment uh, required. In law, it's called a tort. 
And, and some of you are attorneys, and, and you could come over and explain this a whole lot better than I can. But basically, a tort is when a civil duty is breached. For example, a car accident. That you have a civil duty to not run red lights, right? And, and so if somebody runs a red light, and some of you are better drivers than others, but, but if you were to run a red light and hit, you know, somebody else's car, or somebody ran a red light and hit your car, that's called a tort, And you're not going to prison because of a tort, right? You'll pay a penalty or a fine, but you're still responsible to repair the damages to the other person. That's what insurance is for. But there's a difference between a tort and a crime. A crime is when you break the law. Uh, When when, when people harm us or they hurt us, a debt has been created, but a, a crime not necessarily has been committed in most cases. And so they don't face jail time. They just have to fix it, right? And they pay a penalty. And so forgiveness is like saying to someone, you don't owe me anything. That's what forgiveness is. That's the picture Jesus is painting here, that I forgive the tort. He forgave our sins, but more than that, he satisfied the requirements of the law. And and so when we have an accident, our insurance kicks in and satisfies the requirements of the law. But God didn't hand out money, and, and God didn't have to fix somebody's car. The requirement according to the law was death. And he satisfied the requirements according to the law in Jesus and in the death of Jesus. So get this. Here's the question. What's greater, forgiving a debt or a death penalty? And when we forgive other people for their small debt to us, it is a snapshot of what God did for us when he wiped our penalty away. Second thing, when I forgive, I release myself from that person's control. This is big time. If you don't get anything else, get this today. Have you ever been really, really mad at somebody? I'm talking about ticked off. And you thought about it, and it's like a rotisserie grill in your mind. I mean, just, just, over and over and over again. You're so ticked off you can't sleep. You you wrestle with it, you spend time and energy on it, and then you finally confront that person and they say, what? I I had no idea you were upset. I I don't even remember doing that. To which your first response is usually, what are you talking about? I mean, I've been mad at you for years. Did you not get the hint? You know, I mean, I sent a bunch, but, but... You knew about it, right? And you've been thinking about it, and you've been giving all this energy and emotion to it, and you lay awake at night dwelling on it. You may drive by their house and wish awful things on them, or maybe on the other side of it, you, you, you altered your routine so you can avoid them altogether. And here's what I want you to see. You, all of this energy has been wasted and used in the wrong direction. And and can I just say that it's not just energy wasted, it's energy that could have been used for the kingdom. Right? And as you think through that with those eyes, you go, what am I doing? Harboring unforgiveness is no good for the kingdom, and it is no good for you. When we harbor unforgiveness, you know what we're doing? 
We're leashing ourselves up and handing the leash to the person who has offended us. And we're saying, okay, you control me. You lead me around on a leash. You, you, you mess me around. You ruin my life. You keep me from my potential. You keep me from all that God wants to bless me with. And, and, and you just, you know, keep on keeping on in my life. And we give them control over our lives. And we have to forgive. Even if the other person doesn't ask for it. We have to. As believers, as believers, we are to initiate the forgiveness and the forgiveness process. We can't hold back waiting. If we wait for them to ask for forgiveness, we may be waiting forever, right? But, but here's the question, how do you know if you've really forgiven them? And this is the wrestling match in my study this morning. This list of seven people. God, I, I, I think I've forgiven. But I, I don't know. I don't want to stand up and preach before thousands of people today and having not done the work myself that I'm asking them to do. And How do you know that you have really forgiven somebody? And here's the answer. When you can think about them or hear their name and not feel the hurt. When you can think about them or you can hear their name and not feel the pain, you've let the debt go at that point. But when their name comes up and you're like, oh, and when their name comes up, like, oh, you have not done the work of forgiveness. How do you know? Here's another one. When you can pray God's blessing on that person, you've done the work of forgiveness. And that's where I got about four o'clock this morning. I said, I haven't done it. And I took that list of people and I said, here's God, here's the truth. I want you to bless me and curse them. I want you to bless me so greatly and curse them so greatly that I will walk on top of their heads. But I know that's not good for my heart. And I trust you. So there's great wisdom that comes from life, from, from hanging out with senior adults. Why? Because they have more experience in life, right? They, there's all kinds of wisdom. See, if we had been with somebody who dug a sewer line before, we would have known. One time. I've done it one time now, and I know. Experience is valuable. And so to hang around with people that have a lot of experience, you gain a lot of wisdom from them. What about the one who's everlasting? And I said, God, you're everlasting. I trust you. And this is good for me. And it honors you. And I went through that list of seven men and I prayed God's blessing on each one of them this morning. And said, God, I, I want you to bless them greatly. I want you to enrich them enormously. I want you to prosper them. And if they don't know you, I want them to come to know you. If they do know you, I want them to grow in their walk with you. You know you've forgiven them when you can feel their pain. 
and see their perspective instead of just focusing on your perspective and your pain in the scenario. The third thing, and let me just say this, forgiveness is more for the one who has been offended than it is for the one who did the offending. See, a lot of us think forgiveness is for the person that hurt us, and it's not for the person that hurt us. It's for us, and uh, these are tough things to follow through on, but you have to, why, why? Because it benefits you, it's for you. It is a God gift to you. And you, some, you may hear that and say, well, pastor, does that mean that forgiveness is a one-sided thing? I mean, does that mean that, that forgiveness of the person who, who harmed, that, that, that sounds like forgiveness then is a selfish thing. And I would say, I'd say to you, you're right. That's incredibly insightful. It is a selfish thing. It, it is all about you. And, and it's all about releasing the control that that person has over you. And it's not really them, it's that thing. It's whatever has harmed you and releasing that to the Lord. And it doesn't just release their control of you in the present. The third thing that it does is when I forgive, I release my future from bitterness. Studies, lots of studies have been done on health benefits of forgiveness. Uh, You talk about decreased stress, Lower blood pressure, decreased chance of heart attack, decreased chance of cancer, increased immune system, you are happier, there's less chance of depression, there's less chance of anxiety. What what, what are we seeing? Exactly what Jesus is trying to tell us, that unforgiveness is a thief. It's a thief, and it's a lie from the liar of all liars and the thief of all thieves who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. It is a thief of our energy. It is a thief of our time. It is a thief of our future, and it is an immobilizer, and it keeps us spinning our wheels and and where we can't get traction, and we're, we're really not going anywhere. But when we forgive, we gain freedom. We gain freedom of thought, we gain freedom of emotion, we gain freedom from sin, we gain freedom to walk with God and to walk in God, and we gain freedom to walk with a clear conscience. But forgiveness doesn't mean always being released from the consequences, right? And and sometimes with God, God forgives us, but we still sometimes, sometimes there are consequences to what we've done. And we need to teach that to our children right? And our children need to understand that. And since this is a parenting series, let me just parentheses for just a second on on this subject matter. Flip back over to Ephesians 6 where we were uh, a few weeks ago. In Ephesians 6, we talked about this first three verses. That's where it says, and it's really a, a copy of the memory verse from the very first week in the New Testament, where it says, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on earth. And we talked about honor and obedience. And we, we pointed out the fact that you can obey without honoring, but you cannot honor without obeying. But Paul goes on in the same chapter. Look what he says in verse 4. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. You you know what he's saying there? That uh, discipline has a place in our house, especially in a Christian house. The question is not if, the question is how. Always, yes, we we discipline, right? And and we want to do it with the discipline of the Lord and the instruction of the Lord is what he's talking about. The question is how do I discipline my children? How do I get my kids to obey? How do I get my kids from making those mistakes? But, But sometimes in discipline as parents, as believers even, we go too far. 
and, and, and sometimes we're too harsh, and sometimes maybe we're too demanding. But, but Paul is showing us a different way, and he calls it the discipline of the Lord or the instruction of the Lord. What is it? Look at Proverbs chapter 3, because Proverbs, the writer, the wisdom uh, writing there tells us what it is. In, in, in chapter 3, Proverbs 3, verse 11 and 12 says, My child, do not reject the Lord's discipline, and don't be upset when he corrects you, for the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. The Lord corrects those he loves. Question, do you feel the correction of the Lord? Great litmus test as to whether or not you have a relationship with him. He corrects those he loves. He corrects those he has a relationship with because he loves them. And and the writer of Hebrews talks about this in chapter 12 where he says our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they could. But, But God's discipline is always good for us. It's always good for us so, so that we might share in his holiness. Now, three real quick observations about the Lord's discipline. Number one, God corrects out of love, always. It's not out of anger. It's not out of vengeance. It's out of love. Now, how do we do that realistically? Something we've learned all over again uh, with a new four-year-old. Hold after you scold. Hold after you scold. What, what, What do I mean by that? After you discipline your children, hug them and hold them. Love on them. I tell Ben on a regular basis, until your will is broken, you haven't understood it. What does that mean? Until you want to hug your dad and realize that this was for your good, you haven't understood it. We'll just keep going. And and you hold them afterwards and you love them afterwards. And, and, you know, children usually translate discipline as something bad and they think mommy's mad at me or daddy's mad at me. But let them know you love them. And that's why you discipline us because you love Second thing about God's discipline is God corrects to make us holy. That's his objective, to make us holy and righteous and and, and godly. That's the question as a parent we ought to ask is, why am I disciplining my kid? Is it out of vengeance? Is it out of frustration? Is it to get back at them? Or is it so that they will be holy and so they will live an honorable life, so that they will make good decisions? Number three, God always leads with forgiveness. It's always the first card he plays. You don't have to wonder what's in the hand and how God's going to play his hand. It's always the first card, and he lays it on the table, and he leads with forgiveness. I forgive you. Now, here's what I want you to do. Revelation 13, 8 says this, that Christ was slain from the foundations of the world. Do you know what that means? Before Adam and Eve sinned, before the fall of man, Christ was slain in the heart of God. God planned for his son to be the price and planned for his son to to pay the price for our sin, knowing that we would sin. In other words, God's first plan was forgiveness. So as children of God, as Christians that Christ lives in, should we not lead with forgiveness in our parenting? Should we not lead with forgiveness? Should it not be a hallmark in our homes and a hallmark in our families? It has to start with you and me as the parent. And each week, We've been giving you some assignments. And I hope you're doing the assignments. And the assignments are ways that that we're giving you to make backward parenting work in your family. 
and I've tossed this one around and debated on, on what to do here. And if you're a parent here, let me just say, if you're not, you still can do this. Okay, if you're not a parent, you still can do this. If you are a parent, I, I want you to sit down with each of your kids. Not in a group. And not together as parents. One parent, one kid at a time. And if you're not a parent, you can do this with your parent. You could do this with a significant other, if, you know, or a spouse or a business partner, someone that you're close to. But if you're a parent, I want you to sit down with each of your kids one-on-one. And I want you to tell them, I love you. And I've always loved you. And because I know myself, and because I know how we live, I know there's probably something that I've done to hurt you. And we've not dealt with it. And we've not acknowledged it. And I want to ask you to tell me what that is. Because what I want to do is ask for your forgiveness. And maybe you know what you've done to hurt them. Maybe you don't. It's immaterial. Let them verbalize it and... and When you do this, you and your kids are going to experience freedom like you never felt. And you're going to be freed from the guilt of harming them. One of my friends that I meet with every other week told me about walking through this exercise with his five-year-old boys. And one of the reasons he's a friend is because... He, he shoots straight like I do and, and more probably. And in the vein of Simon Peter, he said he asked this question thinking I'm a good dad. In fact, I'm a great dad. Son, has there been anything I've done to, to harm you? And the boy said, well, you, you yell when you get mad, dad. And being like Simon Peter and being like me, he said, yeah, but mom kind of does that too, doesn't she? The child said, no, just you, daddy. I can't think of a conversation more Christ-like to have with a five-year-old. Because when you do that with your children, and, and, and if you're sitting here today and you're thinking my children are too small or, or they're toddlers or they're too young or, you know, they're elementary, that, that they, they're not dealing with unforgiveness. You, you are naive. If you think your child can't harbor unforgiveness about something that you've done to them, just think about your own life. Did, your, did any of your parents ever do something that they didn't ask for forgiveness? Any bitterness there? See, the way that this plays out is generational. And when you model forgiveness for your kids, 
It's one of the best gifts that you can give them. As you ask for their forgiveness, your kids will see what you're doing and they will ask for forgiveness and you're teaching them about how to forgive and how to ask for forgiveness and you're setting them up for success in life and you're setting them up for a life of freedom and that is backward parenting. With the end in mind, but you're also modeling for them the love of God and, and how to lead with forgiveness. And, and you're displaying the love of Christ to them in the way that He loved us first. And if you have not received the love and the forgiveness of Christ first, that's your first step as a parent. In 1820s, a man named George Wilson and an accomplice robbed a postal carrier and in the process they endangered the postal carrier's life punishment much stricter then they both were sentenced to be hanged and in 1830 the accomplice was hanged but George Wilson had friends in high places who made an appeal for a presidential pardon and went all the way to Andrew Jackson and because it was his friends that asked Andrew Jackson, the President of the United States in that day, forgave George Wilson and issued a presidential pardon, which came all the way down to the jail cell on the day before he was to be hanged. And George Wilson said, I do not receive the pardon. The executioners didn't know what to do with that. Never been done before never been rejected a presidential pardon and they didn't want to be the ones who in doing their job executed a man that the president of the United States of America said do not execute and so they refused and so it went through a court system and it started out in a local court worked its way all the way up to the Supreme Court of the United States of America and in the Supreme Court of the United States of America Chief Justice John Marshall issued a statement and he said, a presidential pardon is an act of grace, which means it can be received or rejected. And George Wilson rejected it and hung for it. Is that not a picture of what we have given to us in the person of Jesus Christ? The forgiveness is on the table. The debt has been paid, it, it, the hand is extended, but it's an act of grace at which we either receive or reject. Where are you today in light of the grace of God? Have you received it? Have you received the pardon that comes from the person of Jesus Christ? In all of our environments this morning, would you bow your heads and would you pray with me? And I'm going to ask you just to be still and, and not to get up and move during this time. This is the most holy uh, uh, moment of the day. This is what we've been building up to. And so I just want to ask you just to wait for a few minutes and to get really, really, really still. And I want to ask you today, have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you received the pardon? Have you received the forgiveness? Do you know that you know that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior? And if you'd say, Pastor, I don't know that. 
I want you to pray for me. Would you just raise your hand and say, that's me. Pray for me. I, I don't know. I don't have that kind of assurance of salvation. But I would like to know. Pastor, just pray for me. If that's you, would you raise your hand all across the room and let me see it. Pastor, pray for me. Anybody else? I've seen a few hands. Anybody else? Pray for me. Okay, you can put it down. Anybody else? Child or two, if you're sitting next to a young child, you, you may want to help them through this process. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. Father, I pray today could be the day of salvation. That you would save people. We can't save anybody, but you can. And you paid the price. And so, God, I ask that you do what only you can do in this moment, in this room, in all of our environments today. Whether you're in the chapel, in prior, or watching on the internet today. You want to give your life to Jesus Christ. I'm praying for you right now. God, do the work in their lives and help them to receive the gift of salvation. And wherever you are, under the sound of my voice today, would you just pray with me and say, Dear God, I receive your pardon. I receive the gift of Jesus. Come into my life as my Lord, my Savior, and my forgiver. In the best I understand it, in the best that I know how, I trust you alone, Jesus, to save me. Be the Lord of my life. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. 